We're going to be looking today at the sixth chapter of the book of Jeremiah. I would call your attention to Jeremiah chapter 6. The theme of our study today, a recipe for disaster. Drinking and driving is a recipe for disaster. Sexual relations outside of marriage is a recipe for disaster. And really in short, disobedience to God is a recipe for disaster. In Jeremiah chapter 6, we find the prophet who began prophesying on the eve of Babylonian captivity. And really what Jeremiah sought to do was call God's people back. Unfortunately, they failed to heed his message and thus they were swept away into 70 years of Babylonian captivity. And in chapter 6, we have some of the earmarks of the way these people were living during the days of Jeremiah that led to their eventual captivity. And so I want us to look for just a moment or two at Jeremiah chapter 6 as we think about the theme, A Recipe for Disaster. And the first thing I want to call your attention to is the fact that when you look at ancient Judah, you'll find out that they were carnal. When we talk about people who are carnally minded, to some extent you could say that they are indifferent. They are worldly. They're not concerned with spiritual things. And obviously that was the case in the days of Jeremiah. Jeremiah back in chapter 2 had reminded these people how good and gracious Almighty God had been to them. That it was God that had led them out of Egyptian bondage. It was God that had sustained them in the wilderness. It was God that had stood by them, and yet they had turned their back on Him. And so in chapter 2, verse 32, Jeremiah said, Speaking on behalf of God, my people have forgotten me days without number. When we talk about the fact that these people were carnally minded, There are really three things that are set forth in verse 10 that I think suggest the carnality of these people. First of all, they they were deaf to the word of the Lord. And by that I simply mean here were people that had been given the oracles of God. Paul said in Romans chapter 3 verse 2 that one of the advantages of the Jewish people is the fact that unto them had been committed the oracles of God. God is the one that had given them the Ten Commandments back in Exodus chapter 20. It was God that had entered into a covenant relationship with them. And it was Israel that had responded by saying, All that the Lord has said, we will do. In about verse 8 of chapter 19 in the book of Exodus. Well, note if you would what is said in verse 10. To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Indeed, their ear is uncircumcised, and they cannot give heed. So ultimately, here were people that turned a deaf ear to the Word of God. Isn't it frustrating to to try to, to talk to people from time to time? And sometimes we talk about sitting down with somebody who has a problem, and we're trying to talk some sense into them. Well, here was Almighty God 
trying to talk to his people, and yet they literally turned a deaf ear to his word. Jesus talked about it in Matthew chapter 13, verse 15. Those whose ears were closed. When you close your ears to the truth of Almighty God, ultimately you're going to pay a heavy price. Not only did these people turn a deaf ear to the word of the Lord, but Jeremiah also says they despised the word of the Lord. Look also at what he says, Behold, the word of the Lord is a reproach to them. Here were people that derided the word of God. Can you imagine people that have become so insensitive to the word of God that they castigate it, that they speak scornfully about it? Look at people in our day today. Look at, look at America and how so many people take a very low view of Scripture. Sometimes individuals will, will speak in a mocking manner about the Word of God. There are some, if you were to quote a Scripture to them, will laugh. Or maybe they'll say, you're just talking about an ancient book, an old-fashioned book that's really meaningless. It's just a book of fables. Well, we're talking about the Word of God. Not only did these people turn a deaf ear to the Word of the Lord, not only did they despise the Word of the Lord, but Jeremiah said they did not delight in the Word of the Lord. Listen again to what he said. Behold, the Word of the Lord is a reproach to them. They have no delight in it. Contrast the sentiments of the people in the days of Jeremiah, and Jeremiah was prophesying toward the latter part of the 600s in about 606, 605 B.C. Actually, 605 B.C. was the beginning of the carrying away of God's people into Babylonian captivity. And there were three waves of captivity. But here were people that did not delight in God's Word. The psalmist said in Psalm 1 at verse 2 that his delight was in the law of the Lord and in that law he meditated day and night. In Psalm 119.97, the psalmist again said, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. He talked about how he cherished the Word of God above silver and gold. It was sweeter to his mouth than honey. And honey was considered an item of luxury in ancient days. And so here was a man that, that viewed Scripture in an exalted way in contrast to the people of Jeremiah's day who had no delight in the Word of God. And there are people like that today. They don't want to hear the Word of God. They don't want to think about the Word of God. They certainly don't want you to talk to them about God's Word. And the bottom line is simply this. They're just carnally minded. They're more interested in worldly affairs. They're more interested in what's going on in their lives. A second characterization set forth by Jeremiah. First of all, these people were carnal, and that is a recipe for disaster. But number two, they were covetous. Drop down and look, if you would, at verse 13. Because from the least of them, even to the greatest of them, everyone is given to covetousness. 
Now in Ephesians chapter 5 and about verse 3, Paul equates covetousness to idolatry. You go back to Exodus chapter 20 at verse 17, and one of the Ten Commandments given by Almighty God, you shall not covet. They were not to covet their neighbor's possessions, their neighbor's mate, anything that belonged to another person. We talk about covetousness, the fact that somebody would be envious or jealous of another's possessions. And really the idea of covetous is somebody who begins to, to, to work toward getting something no matter how they can get it. They just devise a plan and get it. And sometimes they're very unscrupulous in so doing. But the Bible says that these people, from the least to the greatest, they were given to covetous. We talk about distorted principles. And really, in the days of Jeremiah, what Jeremiah is saying is greed ruled. Now look at our country today. Look at all of the problems that we've had in the past year or so that have centered around this problem called covetousness or greed. We don't use the, the term covetousness in the news. We don't use it in the newspaper. But greed is covetousness. And Paul said it's idolatry. Now, having said that, listen to what Jesus said in Luke 12, verse 15. He said, take heed and beware of covetousness. Because a man's life consists not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. If you were to take a poll of people in our country today, and you were to ask them, what means the most to you in life? What do you think they'd say? To some, it might be their bank account. To some, it might be their land. To some, it might be their home. To some, it might be any number of personal possessions that they, that they have acquired. For some, it might be power or prestige. The bottom line is, covetousness or greed roots out a spiritual life. And because these people had allowed covetousness to permeate their lives, they had no room, they had no room for God. Now in Luke chapter 12, Jesus set forth a parable about a certain farmer, a rich man whose ground brought forth plentifully. And because of the abundance of this man's goods, he said, I'm going to pull down my barns and build greater, and there bestow all of my crops and goods. And then I'll say, soul, eat, drink, and be merry. But here's what God said. This night your soul is required of you. And whose things shall, who shall these things be that you have provided? So is he who is not rich toward God, but is ultimately rich toward himself. And the idea is, here's somebody who's so consumed with greed, who's so consumed with acquiring the things of this life, that he has no time for God. The people of Jeremiah's day, they had ultimately given themselves over to a covetous way of life. We talk about some of the scandals of Wall Street and some of the problems in our banking institutions. And all of that, for the most part, is rooted 
in greed. Look at how many people in our world today are literally consuming their lives by trying to acquire more. They never have enough. They're never satisfied. They're never content. Well, such was the case in the days of Jeremiah. A third characteristic set forth by the prophet, also found in verse 13 as well as verse 14, is the fact that they were corrupt. And when you talk about the corruption that that was so prevalent in the days of Jeremiah, here's the astonishing thing. The corruption was reflected in the lives of those who were considered to be or deemed to be the religious people. And so look at what Jeremiah says in verse 13. Because from the least of them, even to the greatest of them, everyone is given to covetousness. And from the prophet, even to the priest, everyone deals falsely. They have also healed the hurt of my people slightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. So what was the problem? You had these priests and prophets who were, who were basically trying to tell God's people, look, you don't have to worry about anything. Everything's going to be all right. You don't have to worry about what Jeremiah is saying. Peace is on the horizon. They were insidious in their false teaching. Now, I said just a moment ago that one of the problems that was reflected in the lives of the people of Jeremiah's day is they they disdained the Word of God. They had no appreciation for it. Jeremiah said they did not delight in the Word of the Lord. Well, having said that, here's the problem reflected in the prophets and the priests, and ultimately it trickled down to the people. The nation was not interested in truth. Go back and look at chapter 5, verse 30. In chapter 5, verse 30, Jeremiah said, An astonishing and horrible thing has been committed in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely. The priests rule by their own means or their own power. Now listen to him. And my people love to have it so. Do you think these people were interested in divine truth? There is a correlation between people not loving the truth and not wanting to hear anything about it. In other words, here were people, they had no delight in the Word of God, and they certainly weren't interested in truth. Here's Jeremiah, God's spokesman, and he's saying, look, you people need, you need to understand captivity is coming. You need to turn back to the Lord. They didn't want to hear that. They didn't want to hear... They didn't want to hear that God was going to punish them for what was was taking place in their lives. Now look at America today. We talk about the decadence of our society. The immorality that is rampant. We talk about the murder and the bloodshed and the crime and the sexual perversions. The lying and the cheating and on and on. What's the problem? 
If you want to sum up one of the real problems in our nation today is that there are many people in this country who are no longer interested in truth. That's the bottom line. They are not interested in what God's Word has to say. And because of that, problems are on the horizon. Solomon said in Proverbs 23, 23, Buy the truth and sell it not. There is a lot to be said for divine truth. And yet sadly, in our society, we live in a nation where people do not want to hear truth. I really think that what, what we need to do as a nation of people is turn back to the Word of God. And those of us who belong to the body of Christ, we are called upon to lead the charge. We are to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. If anybody is going to make a, cha a change, I'm talking about a real change in our society, it's going to rest in the hands of God's people. It is not going to happen coming forth from those who are in positions of power in Washington. I don't, care if you, I don't care what political party we're talking about. The future of this nation does not rest in the hands of political parties. If this nation is, gonna, if this nation is going to enjoy a bountiful and fruitful future, then God's people are going to have to stand up and begin calling people back to, to the Lord. We're going to have to stand up and say, look, this is what God says. Now, do you think the people in Jeremiah's time, do you think that they really liked what Jeremiah had to say? Absolutely not. And because of that, what happened? He was imprisoned. He took a lot of abuse. Jude talks about contending earnestly for the faith. Sometimes taking a stand is not always easy. But we need to understand and we need to tell people that only the truth sets people free. Our country today is so concerned about being tolerant toward any and everything, we've lost sight of what's right and wrong, what's good and evil. What we need to understand is the truth will set you free. That's what Jesus said in John 8, verse 32. Let me give you a fourth characteristic of these people. They were calloused. When I talk about being calloused, what I'm saying is these people were insensitive to the Word of God. How do I know that? Well, look at verse 15. Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? Now listen to him. No, they were not at all ashamed. Nor did they know how to blush. Here were people that were blinded by sin. Did you know that sin will blind you? Not only will it blind you, it will bind you. That's what Jesus said in John 8, 34. He said, whoever commits sin is a bondservant of sin. What he's saying is, if you choose to live a life of sin, it's going to make a slave out of you. I know I've said this before, but if you ever get the chance, watch a program that comes on, on cable. It may be on direct or dishnet, I don't know, but it's called intervention. If you want to see people who are enslaved, watch that program. 
If you think alcohol is so good, watch that program and see how it enslaves people. How it destroys their lives. If you think drug abuse is okay, it's alright to use drugs, watch that program and see how it destroys and maims the lives of people. The bottom line is this. Sin blinds and it binds. But there are two things I want you to see in looking at verse 15. The first is we can become hardened by sin. That's what Jeremiah is saying. Were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed. Imagine reaching a point in time in your spiritual life when you are no longer sensitive to what God's Word says. Paul talks about in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, those who have their conscience seared with a hot iron. If you take a branding iron and stick that in the side of a cow, what's going to happen? Well, you're going to sever those nerves. And eventually... A scab's going to come up, and then that scab's going to fall off. But, but the bottom line is this. The nerve endings in that part of a calf's body are gone. If you and I are not careful, we can allow sin to destroy our conscience. Where we become hardened to the truth of God. One of the, to me, one of the most frightening passages of Scripture is found in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 where Paul talks about those who do not love the truth. And the Bible says God will send them a strong delusion that they may believe a lie and be damned. Why? Because they love not the truth. If you're not careful, if, if I'm not careful, we can live in sin so long that we become hardened to the truth of Almighty God. Here were people that had become hardened. Look at our society today. We talk about homosexuality and people just let it run off of them. Doesn't matter. If you want to live a homosexual lifestyle, it doesn't matter. If you want to live like a drunk, it doesn't matter. If you want to consume your life with grief, hey, that's all right. Have we gotten to a point where when we see abomination, sin committed, it doesn't bother us. Do we not even flinch? Now look at what Jeremiah said. He said, were they, were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed, nor did they know how to blush. When is the last time you saw somebody blush? When's the last time you saw somebody become embarrassed by what another person said or did? Is it possible as a nation of people we have become so desensitized to right and wrong we can watch it, we can hear it, we can see it? Doesn't bother us at all. That, that was the problem in the days of Jeremiah. Let me tell you what, we can become hardened by sin and we can become headstrong in sin. We can become so headstrong in a life of sin that we're not going to change. We don't care what somebody says. We don't care what the truth of God says. I had somebody tell me one time, no need to open the Bible. Don't even get it out. Well, 
Solomon said, There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. So, here were people that were calloused. But here's, here's the final thought. Because of all of this, I said just a moment ago that our study today, a recipe for disaster. You want to talk about a recipe for disaster? Here it is. When you have people that turn a deaf ear to the Word of God, when they're indifferent to, to the Bible, when they are covetous, when they are carnal, when they are calloused, here's the end result. They're condemned. So, having said that, look now at verse 16. First of all, the invitation, the plea. Thus says the Lord, stand in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths where the good way is, and walk in it. Then you shall find rest for your souls. Do you think God delights in seeing a nation abort from her purpose? He didn't delight in seeing Judah take the course that they had chosen. That's why He sent prophets to them, to call them back. And Jeremiah, as a spokesman for God, is saying, stand in the way and see, and ask for the old path, wherein is the good way, and walk in it. And the promise is, I'll give you rest. But sadly, here's what they said. Look at the latter part of verse 16. We will not walk in it. Amos said one time, I'm not a prophet, nor the son of a prophet. I am no prophet. I am no son of a prophet. But I know this. We need to be calling people back in this nation to the old paths of truth. It may be the case that there are, there are a lot of folks in our society today that are going to say, look, we're not going to walk in it. And maybe that's their course of action. Maybe, that, maybe those are their sentiments, but the blood won't be on our hands. But the people in Jeremiah's day, they had an invitation from God. The Bible talks about God is interested in our well-being and in our welfare. The Bible says God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. God is interested in us, individually, collectively, nationally, whatever the case may be, globally. God is interested in His creation. But they spurned the invitation and so the invasion, the peril. Look at verse 17. God said, Also I set watchmen over you, saying, Listen to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, We will not listen. So verse 18, Therefore hear, you nations, and know, O congregation, what is among them. Hear, O earth, behold, I will certainly bring calamity on this people, the fruit of their thoughts, because they have not heeded my words, nor my law, but rejected it. For what purpose to me comes frankincense from Sheba? What sweet cane from a far country? Your burnt offerings are not acceptable, nor your sacrifices sweet to me. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will lay stumbling, stumbling blocks before this people, and the fathers and the sons together shall fall on them. The neighbor and his friends shall perish. Thus says the Lord, Behold, a people comes from the north country, and a great nation will be raised from the farthest parts of the earth. They will lay hold on bow and spear. They are cruel and have no mercy. Their voice roars like the sea. They ride on horses 
as men of war set in array against you, O daughter of Zion. What's God saying there? What God was saying is, look, there are some people from the north, from Babylon, they're coming down and they're going to take you into captivity. I am going to punish you. I do not know what the future holds for this nation. But I can look back and I can see how God has dealt with other nations. We are not a theocracy, we are a democracy. But this nation was founded by people that had a deep belief in Almighty God, the one true God of heaven and earth. The time is now for our nation to awaken and to realize that there is a payday someday. My hope and prayer is that God will continue to bless this nation with freedom, with prosperity, But you and I, we have to make a difference. I said a moment ago, a recipe for disaster. If you want to see a recipe for disaster, just look back and read about the children of Israel. Read about the nation of Judah. The northern kingdom swept into Assyrian captivity, never to return again. The southern kingdom taken into captivity. Our country today, if you put all the ingredients together, It is a recipe for disaster. Now that's my take on it. So what do we do? We do what we're supposed to do. We preach and teach the gospel of Christ. The gospel is what can change this nation. Maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian. Could we encourage you to become one? What would you need to do? Well, first of all, you need to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus said, except you believe that I am He, you'll die in your sins, John 8, verse 32. The Bible also says you would need to repent, to turn from a life of sin, Luke 13, 3. To confess His name before others, Matthew 10, 32. To be baptized or immersed in water for the remission of your sins, Acts 2, verse 38. The Lord will then add you to the church, Acts 2, 47. When you do that, well, you belong to the family of God. And you have the hope of life eternal. The exhortation is be faithful until death. And the promise is the crown of life, Revelation 2.10. If you're unfaithful to the cause of Christ, maybe you're not what you ought to be. Why not come home today? Why not come back to the Lord who will abundantly pardon? Would you come as we stand and sing?